plays into what I want to preach on this morning, which uh, the overall series, not this specific topic, but the overall series, which is about activation. How do we become activated for God's kingdom? How do we increase our impact in the world? Because I believe we've preached from day one that every single person has a destiny in the Lord. And we were created and redeemed to have an impact around us, to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. It says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel redeemed us and his power in our lives to see others saved. But how are we going to see other people saved, come to this saving knowledge if God's power isn't released in us, if we're not activated for God's kingdom's sake to see it expand? Paul uh, says to Timothy, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. You have a gift. Every single one of us has a gift of God in us. We need to see it activated. We need to see it fanned into flame. We've been talking about this on Wednesday evenings, and we're going to continue to do so this Wednesday, about how to become activated for God's God's kingdom. So join us on Wednesday because we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth, according to Christ. And if we're going to be light, we've got to be on the hill. We can't be hidden. Uh, We deactivate ourselves when we put our light under a basket. Or if our salt, so to speak, has lost its savor, we've become deactivated. And God's desire is for that not to happen. But for us to be fully released in his kingdom in order to see these things accomplished. That's the setup for the whole series. And we've been looking at how throughout this series there are ways we can be activated and then there are ways that we get deactivated. Last week, uh, Greg Oliver did a great job, if you were here, of, and if you didn't, please get a copy of the, the message, giving his life story about how through sin he was deactivated. But God restored him, and God healed him, and God forgave him. And now he's got a whole different activated ministry that's different than anything he could have ever dreamed. Um, God's not done with us. God doesn't want us to be deactivated. We keep trying to take ourselves out of the game, and God keeps healing us and wanting us to go back in. One of the things that... One of the things, and let me just tell you, this message today is for every single one of us. Because one of the things that will take us out of the game is fear of conflict, conflict, or recovery from conflict. And every single one of us in this room, in some way, has conflict in our lives. And the Bible is is awesome because it doesn't It doesn't sugarcoat things. When there are conflicts with people, uh, even awesome people of God in the Bible, it, 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 it shows it. It reveals it. It talks about what happened and the consequences and the and the future of it today. And just as we've been looking at different Bible characters for all these character studies we've been doing, I want to look at one today about how do we handle conflict. 
How do we handle conflict? Because, here's the first point, conflict, there should be a, like, conflict is part on that. Uh, This is the fill in the blank. I have no idea where the first part of this went. Um, (laughs) Conflict is, what do you think? It's certain. Conflict is certain. You know, as many times as you proof these things, it's still... Something happens in the computer in the 10 minutes since you proved it last. Conflict is certain. Conflict is certain. If you're breathing right now and you're going to talk to another person at some point in your life, you're going to have conflict. It is certain. It is certain. It's inevitable. (laughs) I I read in Time Magazine this morning, just this morning as I was at church, uh, five of the filthiest places to avoid on airplanes. So I know that some of you uh, are really into this kind of information. So I just want to help you know what to avoid on an airplane because these are the filthiest places. Uh, Airplane tray tables. That makes sense where you put your food. That's one of the filthiest places on or your computer. Uh, Restrooms. That's That's a safe bet. The seat back pocket in front of you, one of the filthiest places. Aisle seats. For those of you who love to sit on the aisle, it's one of the filthiest places on the airplane. And finally, air vents and seatbelt buckles. Air vents and seatbelt buckles. Now, let's think about this first. Just put this all together. You get on the plane, you can't touch the seatbelt, right, because it's filthy. You can't breathe the air because it's filthy. You can't use this thing and it's filthy. You can't put your stuff. It's filthy. You can't sit in your seat. It's filthy. What does it say? Don't fly. <laughs> don't fly. Just don't get on an airplane because the whole thing is filthy. If you want to avoid conflict and don't live, that is the bottom line. If, you, if you're alive, you're going to have conflict. You don't have, it's just an inevitable part of life. I mean, there are so many different statistics. Two-thirds, two-thirds of pastors report that within the last two years, they've had a conflict in their church so significant that people have left their church. Two-thirds. Just within the last two years. Conflict is inevitable. And, and let me just say, I'm going to get that slide off if we can because I can't. I got nothing now. Because conflict is, yeah, (laughs) certain. It's a great illustrative point, isn't it? If you want the crucible for conflict, where do you think that is? Marriage, family. Thank you, Wendy, you're right. Marriage and family is the crucible for conflict. You're going to just have to stay with me, Griff, because I got, I got no change here. Through, through conflict, uh, this is Jim Van Yipperen. Through conflict, we know our need, acknowledge sin, recognize truth, and test our faith. The narrative of our faith requires conflict. What? The narrative of our faith requires conflict. Why? By it, we learn and grow. Only by trusting God through pain, uncertainty, and opposition... Do we prove his will and demonstrate his love? 
Spiritual leadership means making decisions that both cause and resolve conflict. Now, you may be thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute. Conflict is necessary in our lives? Here's the, we're going to get to this in just a second. The reason we think conflict should be avoided is because we think conflict is bad. Hello? We think conflict is bad. Conflict is certain. Conflict, however, is neither good nor bad. It's how we handle the conflict that then makes it become either negative or positive. I mean, conflict is used to strengthen characters throughout the Bible. I mean, look at uh, Moses, David, Abraham. Jesus didn't avoid conflict. He walked right into it. At the end of chapter 15 of Acts, we see a conflict that arises between two of the godliest men in the New Testament, uh, Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas have had a a history together. They've gone way back. Barnabas is, he's the encourager. He's the guy who really brought Paul into the whole thing. I mean, without Barnabas, Paul would not have been introduced to the church leaders after he got saved. Without Barnabas, Paul would not have been uh, matured in the faith. Barnabas and Paul go on a first missionary journey together, and then they go on a second missionary journey together, And as they're prepping to leave, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. This sounds normal. They've they've been on a missionary journey together. They, after their missionary journey, they go down to Jerusalem because a uh, a lot of Gentiles have come to know the Lord. This is the first real influx of Gentiles into the church. So they have to go down to Jerusalem to to talk about some stuff. And there the church in Jerusalem decides uh, some very important issues concerning how do Gentiles become Christians, that they don't have to become Jewish, a whole different thing. And afterwards, Paul and Barnabas are excited. They're like, hey, let's go back and see the, let's go see how the churches we did on our first trip are doing and give them the good news. Tell them what the brothers in Jerusalem have decided. And then in Acts 15, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Paul, excuse me, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. This conflict arises between these two brothers who have historically been together, been through trips together, on journeys together, from maturity. I mean, they have been through it, but they have this disagreement over taking Mark with them, John Mark, so much so that Paul takes Silas and he goes off on a missionary journey and Barnabas takes Mark and he goes to Cyprus. Who is right? See, that's our question always. Hey, somebody had to be right. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible never says, hey, Paul was right. He should have not taken he Barnabas was right. There's no right here. There's a conflict that happens over whether to take Mark with them or not. 
Was it God's plan for these two guys to go different ways? Or did God just use it in the end for the furtherance of his kingdom? Again, the Bible doesn't say. Here's what I want us to see, though. Conflict can arise anywhere. And it can happen between the godliest of people. And there's some answers I just don't have. But I do know this, that these guys don't talk bad about one another. You're going to see in the future they don't say words that disagree. They just had a disagreement about what to do. Conflict is certain. It's going to happen. I mean, if you go into your, uh, if, if you and your wife are, are, are talking about painting the living room, and one of you says, I, I want to paint, the, paint it yellow. Another one goes, no, I, I'd like to paint it blue. People, you got a conflict. you got a conflict over whether the living room should be yellow or the conflict, whether it should be blue. It's just, people have different opinions. People have different likes. People have different dislikes. Conflict is inevitable. But how we handle the conflict will make a difference because, see how this one does, beautiful, conflict has causes. Conflict has causes. Um, what was the cause of their conflict? Without going into, I, I'm just going to hit the highlights of some scripture passages for you. Um, starting with, and I'm going to go through these pretty quick, Griff, since I can't change them. Mark 14, 51. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. You might be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa where did this come from? This is traditionally the first appearance of Mark in the Bible. And we're talking of an appearance, right? <laughs> so this is his first. This young man who was following Jesus traditionally has been referred to as Mark. Mark comes from a family that uh, becomes, a, becomes Christian. And in Acts 12, 12, um, we see this. when, And this is when Peter gets out of prison. It says, when they... When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So we see Mark in the garden. We see Mark uh, at a prayer meeting with his mother that Peter comes to after he gets released from prison. In Acts 12, 25, it says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, this is a mission, by the way, not their journey, but a mission where they had taken some money down to Jerusalem to help with a famine. They came back. They returned from Jerusalem, and they brought John, also called Mark, with them. So we see John, Mark, throughout this early part of the church. In Acts 13, 3, it says, So after they had fasted and prayed, this is in Antioch, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. John was with them as their helper. I mean, John Mark, he's, he's filling in here. He's, he's helping. He's at prayer meetings. He's going back with them. He's going on the first missionary journey. <clears throat> but in Acts 13, 13, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. For some reason, we don't know why, John Mark leaves them on their first missionary journey. So when the time comes for their second missionary journey, Paul 
and again, Paul's been blamed as being like a, not having grace. Okay, you know what? We took him on the first journey. He, he abandoned us. One shot, you're out. We're not taking him back. Now, we, obviously this, whatever reason he had for leaving, this did cause Paul's disagreement. But there's this cause that have Conflicts, they, can, they have reasons. There are reasons for, even if it's something like, I like this and you like that, conflicts happen. There's a story about this little, little guy who asked his dad where wars came from. He saw the news in the Middle East, where wars come from. And his dad, wanting to teach him, said, well, son, let's take World War I, for instance. In World War I, uh, it started when, it all started when Germany invaded Belgium. About that time, the mom's walking through and, she, she says, no, 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 that's not what happened. World War I started when the Archduke was assass assassinated. And pretty soon, the mom and dad are going after it about how World War I started. And pretty soon, the mom marches, the dad just shuts down. The mom marches off. She, you hear the kitchen cabinet slam. There's this silence in the room, and the little boy goes, never mind, I think I've got figure it figured out. Conflict has causes. We're human. We all make mistakes. It causes conflict in our relationships. There are times when we'll misunderstand a circumstance or event, and that will lead to conflict. Bad communication leads to conflict. Kathy and I were laughing a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I said something like, um, I, I was sitting in the den, and she's in the kitchen, and I say, hey, what kind of cereal do we have? And she snaps back at me. And then I snap back at her because she snapped at me. I, I know you don't believe this happens in my house, but on occasion, rarely will it happen. And, and I, we're about 10 sentences into this, and I'm like, what just happened? All I asked was, what kind of cereal do we have? And so I backed up, and, and I said, well, I mean, you seem really upset with me. What, what did I say that got this? She said, you said we never have any cereal. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I said, what kind of cereal do we have? And she goes, oh, never mind. <laughs> and I said, I said to her, you know, I, I, I don't feel old, but I think our hearing is starting to go. So I said, before we start having fights, Let's make sure we heard what we thought we heard before things, uh, you know, ramp up right there. Listen, communication, <clears throat> communication is one of the number one causes of conflict in relationship. Number one. So, everything you want to know about good communication, you can learn this Wednesday night if you'll come to... The Activate Series, because Cheryl, who's very gifted at this, will teach you how to communicate with people, will help you in how to communicate, because conflicts arise, and we don't communicate very well. When I was in seminary, I, I, I had this roommate, and he and I had lived together in college, and now seminary, we, we got along great. We just, you know, we knew each other, and we moved in with this third guy, and this third guy was, um, well, he was, um, 
he was, a, I, I don't know how to put it, he was really, really neat. I mean, really neat. And, and, and Barry Rock and I were not neat. Um, but we were comfortable in our lack of neatness. And so one, one morning I woke up and I went into the bathroom and there was this note. It wasn't a note, it was a letter. It was an epistle taped to the mirror in our bathroom about what slobs Barry and I were and what we needed to do to clean up the apartment, especially the bathroom. Now, here's my point. I, it's not that we weren't slobs or that we didn't need to take part, but I was so offended at the letter. I'm like, this is not the way you handle things. So now I'm mad about the communication of what was the conflict. And this is, this is true in our lives. Because we communicate so badly, conflict gets ramped up. In other words, there's a way that I could say to Phil, and this is just hypothetical, please hang with me. There's a way I could say to Phil, Phil, let's say Phil and I were roommates, just for the sake of argument. And Phil was the not neat one. And I was the neat one. And not neatness causes stress in my life. It, it just, and I could, so I could go to Phil and I could say, Phil, you probably don't know this, but um, lack of order really, it, it, it makes me feel stressed. And I was wondering, could we work together? Could you help me to get the house straight so that I don't feel the stress? So I'm trying to communicate in a way that Phil can receive it. That's one approach. But most of us go to Phil and say, Phil, you're a slob. You never pick up your stuff. You always leave it around. You know, always and never statements will get you in trouble every time. Why? Because Phil is sitting there thinking, no, there's one time I did pick up a sock. So it just invalidated everything you've tried to tell me about my slobbiness, because one time I did do it. And therefore, your never statement is not true. And now he's just dismissed everything you've got to say. Or he's going to get defensive about what he's telling you. His communication, he's going to, you know, we, we need help. Amen? We need help in communication, because men and women, we communicate differently. In case you did not know, it's just different. We use different words. We use, there's emotion, there's facts, there's, and never the twain shall meet. So it, it makes it difficult for us to, to share with one another. We're hurt by someone or disappointed in them. Change causes conflict in our lives. Sin in our lives and the lives of others. Fear causes conflict. There are as many sources of conflict as we can possibly imagine. Third point is this. Conflict has consequences. Conflict has consequences. It always has consequences. Now, did I feel, did I miss a blank? Are we doing good? Conflict has consequences. The consequences of conflict can either be positive or negative. And the Bible, again, shows us fully Lots of negative consequences of conflict. Abraham has uh, Abraham, Isaac, 
But the conflict happens between Sarah and Hagar, the, the slave woman. Consequences to their conflict leads to national, worldwide ramifications because conflict between the two of them wasn't handled properly. Another great story of conflict handled really badly, and I say great story, it's great in that it should warn all of us, is the story of David and his daughter Tamar and Amnon, half-brother and half-sister. In, in, this, in this world where we're talking about sexual abuse and um, everything that goes on, a, a brother sexually abuses his half-sister who he's first in love with and then rejects. David doesn't handle it properly. Absalom walks in. It's his full sister. He's, he's fully offended. He's now offended not just at his half-brother. He's offended at his dad for not handling it properly. He kills his half-brother. He has to flee, come back a couple of years later, still with bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart, eventually causes a rebellion in the kingdom that David almost loses it all, and Absalom eventually loses his own life all started because a horrible situation, but conflict wasn't handled properly. We see consequences of mishandled conflict all throughout the scripture. Dr. Joseph Tucker says this, the number one health problem of the United States of America and the world is not AIDS, drugs, gun violence, cancer, heart disease, etc. It is the chronic enmity of persons and groups toward each other. Let me just say this too, conflict is contagious. If you think your conflict with another person, even within the context of your family or this church, can be contained, it is a lie. The devil will use it to, to, to bring others in and make the whole thing contagious and make the whole thing sick. I've seen it in my own family. When conflict arises between Kathy and I, it affects our children. It affects the atmosphere of our home. I've seen it in churches where, where unresolved conflict between two people can, can sweep up an entire vision of a place. Unresolved conflict has negative consequences. But if we resolve it properly, and you may be looking at Paul and Barnabas and thinking, well, they didn't resolve it properly. Paul took Silas and went here and Barnabas took Mark and went here. But if you look at the remainder of the scripture, you see that though they're never mentioned together again, they never speak ill of each other. And the consequences turns out actually positive. God uses it in their, in their lives. And for 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul mentions uh, Barnabas again when he says, is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? It, it, this, this is after the event. And he's, still, he's mentioning Barnabas in a positive light. He's not bad-mouthing Barnabas like, hey, is it just me who needs to work for a living? And, you know, Barnabas, forget him. He took Mark with him. and No, he, he talks about him. And not only that, he talks about Mark in a positive light coming up. In Philemon 24, he says about some workers, or he says, uh, he's listed as a co-worker. He says, and and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. You're like, wait a minute, Mark is back working with Paul? By this point, he is. 
In Colossians 4.10, it says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greeting, as does Mark. In case you're wondering, is it really this Mark? He, he clarifies it. As so does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Then he goes on and says, You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul has really changed his tune toward Mark, hasn't he? He's a fellow worker. Now he's commending him and saying, if he comes to you, welcome him. In 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, only Luke is with me. Now he's asking for Mark. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Hey, listen. This, this conflict, though we don't know how, we don't know in what way, it obviously gets resolved that creates a positive situation. Over in 1 Peter 5, 13, it says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. We're not really sure who that, we've got some guesses who that talks about. But Peter says, and so does my son, Mark. Mark is with Peter at this point, which is... Uh, we're not sure where. It could be in Rome, but Paul, when he requests him to join him in Rome, and Peter calls him his son. He, here's the point. This kid who we first see fleeing naked from a garden when Jesus is arrested, later at a prayer meeting, later on his first mission trip, he abandons, he abandons Paul and Paul and Barnabas, goes with Barnabas. Later, we see him being a servant requested with Peter to the point that Mark becomes the first of the gospel writers. Mark becomes a bishop in the church. He becomes a leader in the church. Mark gives his entire life to the ministry of God. Mark, once he dies, his bones, it's said, are buried in Venice in what's called St. Mark's Cathedral one of the great historic cathedrals in the world. Mark becomes a leader in the church. If we had written Mark off way, way back when he abandoned and there was not restoration that occurred, what Mark was destined to become as one of the first gospel writers and a leader in the church would never have occurred. Praise God for his grace in all of our lives. And our business should be the business of helping restore people to God and to one another. But because conflict has arisen, and a lot of it, there, what I was trying to point out to you is, this conflict wasn't without reason. I mean, as a young man, Mark did exactly what Paul said. He, he, he failed ship and went home. Listen, aren't you glad that we're not written off every time we make one mistake. I mean, honestly, everybody in this room is a mistake maker. I mean, that's your, you're going to do that. Uh, you know, some of us less than others, but still, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make errors in our lives. And if we just write each other off because of that, and if we write each other off in relationship, then... What hope do we have? Here's the final point, and it's this. Conflict can be conquered. 
in a healthy way. In a healthy way, conflict can be, it can be overcome. Larry Crabb, in his book, The Safest Place on Earth, says this, the difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but it is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of spiritual community. Many of us spend our entire lives in the uh, pursuit of trying to arrange our world to avoid conflict. We just, we hate conflict. We'll even say, I hate conflict. I hate confrontation. I hate breathing. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying. I hate people. I don't want to be around people. Because if you're around people, conflict is inevitable. It's gonna, it is gonna happen. And we are called to people. We are called to live a life of community. The difference is we're to live a life within the context of the spiritual community where we build each other up. It says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, now think of this passage in the, in the context that we're talking about today, about conflict. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Here's, here we go. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In the context of what we're talking about today, what is the pattern of this world in handling conflict? I am going to beat you into submission. I'm going to Twitter you to death. I am going to have victory no matter what. Because that is the pattern of this world. That is, I'm going to win at all costs. Every conflict is a battle that has to be overcome. That's my view of conflict. And that's the pattern. Really, that is the pattern of this world. But Jesus, through Paul, is saying, don't conform to that pattern. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's the pattern of God? Resolve conflict in a healthy way. And I'm not talking about just being a doormat kind of thing. I'm talking about talking about it, meeting about it, getting it settled. Handle conflict in a healthy, healthy way. And then you'll be able to know what God's will is. I mean, think of this. Just imagine in your home, you and your spouse are having a conflict about just fill in the blank, because you got one. I mean, just fill in your own blank. You've got one there somewhere. You're having a conflict about uh, the color blue or the color yellow. I'll stick with something simple. Okay, how are you going to settle it? Well, I mean, who cares if it's blue or yellow, really? But why not let just sit down and talk about blue or yellow? Pray about it. Who cares? But there are more serious things I know you're dealing with. Finances, sexual issues, raising children, whether to move or to stay. I mean, we're just talking about normal life things, not, not even adding on to that all the sin issues we have to deal with of selfishness, pride, sexual immorality. I mean, 
all of those are huge conflict, obvious razors in our lives. How are we going to do it? I just want to give you a, a this is kind of sounds silly, but I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through how to have a good fight. So just hit these points. By the way, if you're looking at the clock at the back, it's like 10 minutes fast, so don't even bother. So I think somebody did that to me on purpose. Cheryl, did you go change the clock so that I would finish earlier? So, all right, here we go. Number one, face, and you'll see the whole thing stands for fights. Um, how do conflict can be conquered? Face the problem and the person. Face the problem and the person. Here's my general principle. Ignoring things doesn't usually make them go away. As a matter of fact, it makes them worse. That root of bitterness, you know why they call it a root of bitterness? Because it takes root, and then it grows, and it, and it has a big tree. But if you take it out, you know, I found in my yard that if I get the acorns out of my yard before they actually take root, it's a lot easier than what's going to happen later on. Same principle in our life. Face the problem. And by the way, the Bible is really clear on this. If you know your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, and this is gender neutral or sister, um, go talk to them. Well, can't I send them an email? I, I'm telling you, go face to face. Go face the problem. Face, not that they're the problem, but face the issue. Face the conflict head up. Because just as the note on my mirror didn't bless me, neither will an email. People will read what they want to read into stuff. And none of us is a good enough writer to communicate adequately what we feel, what we say. And by the way, I'm sure Cheryl will bring this up on Wednesday evening at the Activate class that all of you want to be at. But much of communication is not the words. It's about the body language, the tone of voice. I uh, think you face the issue. The Bible is very clear on this. If we want to overcome conflict, then we have to face it head on. By the way, facing it head on is not facing a friend who I tell so that they'll tell another friend, so that they'll tell another friend, so that hopefully it'll get back to the person I'm having a conflict with. I know you've played that telephone game, right? Where you start a message and you pass it on down and it's never the same message. Bible's clear. Face the person. Go to them and talk to them. It's the only way to handle it. Number I, letter I, ignore the temptation to get sidetracked. Ignore the temptation to get sidetracked. I don't really have time to go through the whole premarital counseling that we do with people, but one of the things psychologists talk about is um, when you have a problem, when you have a conflict, elevate the problem. So, um, um, let's say that um, Adam and Wendy, just to use an illustration, are having a problem. And let's say that I'm the problem. And they're talking about the problem. Well, if, if they're talking about it in this direction, pretty soon the problem will no longer be the problem. What they'll start saying is, well, here's the problem. You spend too much money. Let's say it's finances. And then the other one will say, no, you don't make enough money. That's the problem. So now the problem is no longer the problem. The problem is you're the problem. And now we start accusing it. Now we've quit listening. We've become 
So if you define the problem and elevate the problem, the problem is our finances. We need to figure out a way to handle our finances. Talk about the finances. Elevate it. Get it up from between you so that you can actually talk about you with me? It's kind of simple, but it, I, listen, not every problem can honestly be handled like this. Why? Because on occasion, the other person is the problem. I mean, there, there might be, but you can still elevate the problem and keep talking about it and stick with it. Stick with the problem. Don't, don't get sidetracked by this. <laughs> you know, you're not very good with finances. You're just like your mother. Oh my gosh, now you've sidetracked. You're just like your father. Now things have gone way off the rails, but that's the way we try to handle conflict so often. You, I know it sounds ridiculous as I'm standing up here sharing it with you, but think about your conflict resolution conversations. Pretty soon that kind of conversation creeps in, and now you're no longer talking about the problem. Now you've got a full-fledged World War I on your hands. Which leads me to the G part. Guard your tongue. Guard your tongue. <clears throat> One of the things I try to teach couples in premarital counseling is this. Bless and curse not. And I don't mean like cussing, cursing. I'm talking about, listen, things like you'll never change. You're just like your mother. You'll, you'll, you're always doing that. Those are curses. Those are verbal curses you're speaking on the person. Instead, bless them. Look, I know we're doing the best we can. Listen. We can conquer this. We can, we can overcome this. You're a godly man. You're a godly woman. We together are godly people, and we can do this. Even if it's something horrible that's happened, you, you're godly because God proclaims you godly. I mean, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? If so, then speak it to one another. Even if you know they ran over the cat or something. Still, talking there. There's a righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Bad illustration. Wouldn't bother me to, never mind. Uh, H, the H part. History belongs in the past. Put your behind in the past. History belongs back there. Don't bring it up. Love keeps no record of. You're a list keeper. You may, oh, no, 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 I'm not. Yes, you are. You're We're all list keepers. I remember 15 years ago when you said almost them same words. We're list keepers. We, we, we have to, why does it say love keeps no record of wrongs? Because our normal response is to keep a record of wrongs. We have to battle to actually not keep a record of wrongs. We have to battle through it, keep, keep our history behind us. T. Take responsibility for your actions. None of us want to do this. It's always their fault. It's always the other person. We're so bad about this, we even blame our parents and grandparents. You know, I, I, I come from a long line of angry people. My dad's angry, my mom's angry, my grandpa's angry. He bit a guy's ear off in a bar fight. I, got, I come from a long line of angry people. By the way, that story is true. And, and so <laughs> I, I just come from a long line of angry people. It's not my fault I'm angry. Hello? 
at some, at some point, as they say, you've got to unpack your own bag. You've got your own luggage you've got to carry. And to say, this is, this is me. I'm messed up. Lord, help me. And ask for forgiveness when we're responsible. Just since Wendy's here, just a quick side note here. Hey, somebody fixed the clock while I was preaching. Way to go, Larry. Thanks. I got, I got another 20 minutes now. This is awesome. When, um, when we first started the church, like three or four years, when Darren came to be on staff at our church, it was, um, we were at the Lorna Road location, and it was, I, I had my own office. I had my own office, and then uh, Darren shared an office with Greg Rogers. So, um, and y'all don't all know Darren and Greg like I know Darren and Greg. Remember the, the, the neat versus not neat example? Holy cow. So, Greg, who's Micah's father, um, he's very carefree. Would that be an adequate description? Uh, carefree, I, I, you know, chaos did not bother him. Darren, on the other hand, is not like that. Very neat. You know, his papers were off his desk. I'll give you one illustration. I went in one day, and Darren had taken his diplomas off the wall and was windexing the inside of the glass panes of his diplomas. I, I think these are dirty. I gotta get them clean. Wendy, God bless you, sweetheart. <laughs> you made him that way. You can imagine these two guys sharing this office. I mean, it was like, it was like there was a small partition to me that was like, uh, it was like a hurricane must have happened on the other side of the partition. Do you know, amazingly, I think only like once in the several years did I ever hear them talking about this issue. Why? Because they loved each other. They knew we're in this together, we're different, God made us different. I mean, we all get tired, we all get weary, and at some point, that's just Greg. Yeah, that's just Darren. You know, that's just who they are. Why can't we celebrate that fact? The fact that God has made us different. If God made everybody like me, it'd be easy for me, right? But it would be so vanilla for the world. We need the body of Christ. Final point is this. Stay in there until you come up with a solution. Stay in there until you come up with a solution. Don't give up. The temptation, the temptation is this. Run away. Don't handle the conflict. Don't even face it. Let's say I have a conflict. You know what's easier than even trying to resolve the conflict? I'm leaving. I'm out of this. Why do marriages fall apart? conflict at some point happens and so rather than and now I know conflict over a long period of time some people hang in there longer than others but here's my point stay in there until the solution comes if God has called us to be the body of Christ then when my finger something you know let's say gets infected even my 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 response shouldn't be ah my fingers infected I'm cutting the stinking thing off no I'm gonna need it let's get it healed get it well get it back in the game same thing with each other. We need one another. We need to stay in there until we get a solution. And these passages that I'm going to just throw up there really quickly, they, again, reiterate this. Matthew 18, 1 says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. 
just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. By the way, it goes on. It says, well, what if he doesn't? Then here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's what you do. Unforgiveness is not an option. Let, let me just repeat this. Many of us are sick and sick spiritually, sick mentally, sick physically because we still hold unforgiveness in our hearts. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's what? I think of that Princess Bride movie every time I come to this. <laughs> Where the wife says, liar, liar. He just calls him a liar. But we do that in the church all the time. I love God. I can't stand that guy over there. You know what? The Bible says, liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Mark 11 says this. And by the way, think about this. Same Mark who caused the tension. Same Mark who divided Paul and Barnabas. Same Mark writes these words of Jesus down when he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Why could Mark say this? Man, he'd, been, he'd forgiven and been forgiven and received forgiveness. These are not just words some dude wrote who didn't live life. He'd been through it. He knew what he was speaking of. Here's what I want to say, folks. I know there are marriages here where there is tension, conflict, unforgiveness. I know there are brothers and sisters, physical brothers and sisters. I know that there's in this congregation people who are disagreeing with one another. I know. How do I know? Because it's everywhere. It happens. Conflict is inevitable. And the enemy takes that conflict and uses it to divide a wedge with us. How do, how do we respond? Let's walk it out biblically. God's way is always the best way. And he has a plan for you. And if we're going to be activated for God's kingdom's sake, then we need to understand conflict's going to occur, but God's restoration is greater. He restored a dead thing back to life because of the cross. It's what he does. Receive his restoration. Receive his forgiveness. Walk in health. Walk in health and healing today. Stand up with me if you would. Some of us today, we probably just should fall down on our knees and say, first of all, God, forgive me. And then show me how I can restore relationships with people that are, are divided, that need to be healed, that need to be walked out. I, I, I believe that, I believe it's, this truth is real, that if we're not restored to God and to one another will never be fully activated for what God wants to do in our lives. How's the world going to know we're his disciples? By the love we have for one another. Conflict is, unresolved conflict is the world's way.
Let's not follow that pattern, but instead follow God's pattern for all of our lives. Lord, just right now, I pray for everyone here today. If you, if you would like for me to pray for you, just you know there's some conflict in your life with someone, somewhere, somehow, and you would like for me to pray with you. Just don't be embarrassed. Just hold out your hands before the Lord and receive. Lord, I just pray for those who, all of us, who stand before you in need right now. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives and that relationships would be restored. Lord, it is our desire not to see the damaging things that occur in unresolved conflict, how um, families are destroyed and relationships are broken down and even nations can't get along. Instead, Lord, I pray that you would show us your pattern of restoration. We would love one another well. We would forgive we would, we would take responsibility for what we've done to cause harm. We wouldn't get defensive. We would instead, Lord, seek after you. We would pray for a way for resolution to occur. Lord, I pray that for some of us here today, we, we need to not wait another day to go and talk to our brother or sister in Christ, our family member. We need to we need to go and ask for forgiveness. We need to resolve those conflicts. And so, Lord, I pray that that would indeed occur. Give us the right words to say so that we don't offend. But instead, may we speak words of grace and blessing and health and healing. Lord, today we acknowledge that we're so messed up at times, we're, we have conflict even in ourselves. We can't get along with our own self. And I pray, Lord, for a healing to come, that our spirit, soul, and body will be lined up with you. Your plans, your purposes in our lives. Just touch us right now and heal us. By the power of Jesus who indwells us. Power of the Spirit touches us. Thank you. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to speak. I'm speak. I'm going to speak a prayer of benediction over you. If you need to leave, I'm going to ask you to do that quietly. I know the hour's late. I knew this was going to take a little while to work through. Thank you for your patience. Uh, it's a really important, I think, message for each and every one of us on resolving conflict and restoration. And I wanted to do it in one fell swoop. So thank you for your patience. Um, so I'm going to dismiss you. I'm going to speak this prayer of benediction of you. If you need to leave, please do so quietly. Fellowship with one another out in the foyer or outside. I'm going to ask our ministry teams after the while I speak the benediction just to come onto the front. And if you need prayer for healing, maybe there's a specific relationship. Maybe you want to bring the person with you. <laughs> maybe they're standing next to you. You want to bring them with you to get prayer. That's fine. However you feel like God, ask him first. Don't just drag him up here. But ask him, hey, let's go get prayer together. Um, we know that there's some things that need to be resolved. Um, maybe you need prayer for healing or direction or freedom. These ministry teams will stay up here and pray for you as long as you need prayer. So Mitch is going to lead in worship as we do. So after I speak the benediction, get prayer, stay in worship, or you're, you're free to depart. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, 
according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day in the Lord. If you need prayer, just come right.